This is Nick Fruin, and you're tuned into Tiger Talk, LSU's student journalist-run podcast covering the latest and most important news for the Baton Rouge and LSU community. You're tuning into Tiger Talk, and this is Nick Fruin. Today we're joined by two guests. We have President Tom Galligan here, and then we have Reveille reporter Madeline Catroni. Um, Mr. Galligan, Madeline, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. How about you? Doing Doing great. Doing pretty good. Um, it's a pretty nice day out, and you know I get to see one of my favorite presidents at the moment. You know, you've been been here for probably half my college career. All so. right, well I appreciate. It. I get to see one of my favorite editors and favorite reporters. So oh, there yeah. we go. We we love to hear that. So we're talking. We're going to talk today about you know the, the year. I think it's about been about a year and a half uh-huh. now that you've been you've been president. Exactly. And so first, I wanted to get into how you got the position, how you were contacted about it, or just, just how did the news break to you? If you could kind of get into that for us. Yeah, I could. Um, the, the board of supervisors chair at the time was Mary Werner, um, and uh, it was November, and it was the couple of days before the Alabama game, um, which was in Tuscaloosa. And so she made an appointment to come see me, and I thought, well, isn't that nice that the board chair is going to stop by? And so she came by and we just talked. You know, we visited and, and at the law center. And her father's a graduate of the law center. So she says, well, I know you know my dad. Yeah, I know your dad. So we just talked. Um, then a month later, uh, December 11th, uh, I was grading torts tests. And um, I was not getting a lot done. I was in the office and people were coming by and everything. So I said to my assistant, Christina Hood, who is a person who really runs the law school, hey, I'm going to go home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this at home. So I got in the car and as I'm going home, my phone rings and it's Christina and she says, Mary Werner called. And uh, it, this was a Tuesday. She wants to come see you again and she can either come tomorrow afternoon or Wednesday morning. So I thought, wow, she's coming back. You know, that's interesting. Um, and I said, well, she's a board chair. Let's do it tomorrow afternoon. So I went home and I graded and I think I had like six tests left went on Tuesday afternoon when I went back in and she came in and she said, hello. And I said, hello. And I said, and that Alabama game. Great. Yes, it was great. Everything wonderful. Lala. And she goes, okay, I'm not going to beat around the bush. King Alexander, we think is going to get an offer to be president at Oregon state. It's very hush hush. Do you have any appetite to be interim president? So I sort of went, I mean, I've got six tests to grade, but um, let me let me ask my wife. Uh, and then I, so I said, well, how long would it be? And she said, six to nine months is what we expect. So I said, okay, I'll call you later. Um, and, and this was probably two o'clock and I, I don't think I got the test graded. I was kind of, oh my God, oh my God. So I called my wife and she said, yeah, why not? You know, how long? Six to nine months. Oh, yeah, no big deal. Um, And uh, so I called Mary Werner back and I said, we'll do it. So that was December 11th. December 13th, I was down in New Orleans giving a speech. Uh, I came out of the speech and my phone was ringing. It was Jim Saborin, our vice president of communications. And Jim said, Oregon State is announcing now. Um, So in five minutes, we're going to announce that you're the interim president. And so, you know, I swallowed hard and then I was going to meet a law firm doing some fundraising. And when I went in, the person shook my hand, said, you have a new job. And I go, yep, yep, yep. I have a new job. So, Nick, that's how it came about. Okay. Okay. And so so it was an immediate 
on, on your part, did you immediately know you wanted to take the role before you asked your wife or talked to her about her? How did you feel about it? I, you know, I had been president of a college, Colby Sawyer College, for 10 years. Um, tiny, wonderful place, but small. So I, I had some at least inkling of what it was like. And so I was interested. I was particularly interested, um, I think, because of the six to nine months. I thought, well, heck, I'll, I can do this. And, you know, then I'll come, I'll come back to the law school. And, you know, my wife was enthusiastic about it. So I thought, well, you know, w- w- what the heck? I mean, I'm going to get to get pretty good tickets to the football games. So um, I, I can do this. Okay. Um, so, you know, we, we, you, start, you started to say January was when you officially probably got your presidential roles going. And then about two months after that, you know, the campus shuts down because of COVID. At what point did you or the university or higher administration become aware of the virus and start taking it seriously? Yeah, we, we became aware of it in January. Uh, um, and uh, so we, I, I, I think we probably started to think we need to at least have something in place if this gets to Louisiana in the, in the end of January. In February, we flew to New Hampshire uh, on February 15th, and our grandson Gilbert was born that day, and we stayed a week. We came back on the Friday before Mardi Gras um, into New Orleans, and I just remember being relatively oblivious, except some people in the airport had masks on, but it was probably that week that it got like, wow, this is really coming. The University of Washington went remote. Um, we started having daily meetings with administration and, and health experts. Uh, and in, in early March, we, we had plans. Uh, and then it was March 12th that we went to see the governor and said, Governor, we're going, we're going remote. We're going to announce this afternoon. Um, and you know, you know what happened next. I mean, we we were all remote. We were, um, you know, wearing wearing masks. We still have them, um, and uh, we then were still open. Like people were still coming to work. And Monday, I think, was the fifteenth and of March. And the Ides of March, beware. And I said, um, we need business continuity plans by five o'clock today. So if, if we have to go remote, how are you gonna do it? And we literally, 5.15 that afternoon, 5.10 that afternoon, had we got the plans and we went remote that day. So obviously, switching to remote, it changed, it changed a lot of things of how the university was run. Who did you go to for advice in, in, in these times, in, in the early months of your presidency? Yeah, Nick, there really was there was nobody to go to for advice because everybody was dealing with something very new. The last pandemic of this magnitude had been the Spanish flu a um, hundred years before. It wasn't Spanish; it was from Kansas, but but. Um, so we were looking to the CDC. We were looking to the state. Um, we were looking at the West Coast schools that were a little ahead of us in, in, in what they were announcing and what they were, what they were shutting down. But we really had incomplete information. We put safety first all the time. Um, and we, we, we had to make decisions. I mean, like the close, closing, 
literally not even overnight, it was in the course of an afternoon, um, was talking to the other college presidents in Louisiana um, and other folks nationwide, but, but we, were, we, were all, we were all dealing with something that none of us had ever dealt with before. And so this is going to kind of follow off a quote. I think it's from a recent board of supervisors meeting where it says that, you know, as the, um, one of the biggest universities in Louisiana, we kind of have to lead by example for the other universities. Did you take that into consideration when we were t- talking about closing uh, down the campus? Because I'm pretty sure we were one of the first campuses in Louisiana to close down. We were the first. Okay. Um, and, yeah, absolutely, I took that into account. Um, and I, I thought they're, they're probably – they're going to make their own decisions, but they're probably going to follow our lead. Um, and again, we thought we thought it was the safest thing that that we could do, and they did follow our lead. I think we announced on Thursday, and then everybody else did Friday, Monday, uh, started going remote. And, and this this conversation continues in this year because I feel like as the year's gone on, there hasn't been a lot of backlash from maybe students towards the towards having masks or things like that. But one point of contention has been the vaccine mandate or the possibility of that. Um, and so recently, it was at the Board of Supervisors meeting that you spoke and you gave your opinion on that, I believe. Can you kind of talk about that or your stance on that? Sure. Um, we need to be vaccinated. Um, obviously, people need to do their research, but we're going to be safer if more people are vaccinated. Um, but the vaccines are approved by the FDA under an emergency authorization. They don't have full approval. So there's significant legal issues about whether or not we can mandate a vaccine. Um, there's a bill on the governor's desk right now that would make it illegal to discriminate for a state entity to discriminate against anybody based on vaccine status. So there's some pretty serious legal issues. Um, and I'm not unsympathetic to the claim that, hey, this is emergency authorization. It's not full approval. But what we did is um, we asked the board and, and the board – allergies, don't worry, it's not COVID. And, and, and the board agreed to um, urge LDH and the Office of Public Health to put the COVID-19 vaccines on the mandatory vaccination list once they receive full approval. In the meantime, we're going to just incentivize. Uh, the state's got great incentives. You can get a million dollars. You can get scholarships. We've got incentives. They're, they're not quite as good as that, but they're, they're still pretty neat. Um, so we're going to incentivize and, and we're going to say get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. And so one thing that I wanted to ask you about is that we saw during the meeting, it was reported that the numbers of faculty getting vaccinated students, I think it said around students was around 25, 26%. Um, personally, I know a lot of students that have gotten vaccinated, but haven't reported it to the university in a way. Is that, is that a problem? And how, how can the university kind of deal with that? Yeah, that's a huge issue. Um, we've relied on folks throughout this to self-report. Self-report if, if they've got COVID, self-report about testing results, and now self-report about being vaccinated. So I would just urge people, if you're vaccinated, just go on the website and just say, I've been vaccinated, um, because it'll really raise our confidence levels. Interestingly, last week, we saw a 13% jump in the, in the uh, vaccination rates. And we think it's probably because registering for the incentives are available. So heck, I'm going to register and I'm going to report. So if people are vaccinated, um, I, I would urge them to please, please report it. And how essential do you think uh, a fully vaccinated campus is going to be next year? I think that it's the safety net. 
um, we don't want to go remote again. We don't want to go hybrid again um, unless we have to. But we also know that right now uh, the estimate is 25% of the active cases in Louisiana are the Delta variant. Um, we know the Delta variant is way more contagious, 60% more contagious. We also know the vaccines are the, – the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are effective against the Delta variant at a level of 90 percent. So I, I would I, – I think, Nick, it's our, it's our insurance policy. It's our safety net. So I, I would urge if we want to have social life, we want to have classes, we want to get back to normal as much as we can, I would urge people do their research and get that – get those shots in your arm. So what would you say your response is to professors who say they're not comfortable teaching on campus until there is a mandatory vaccination policy? Yeah, and I'm, I, I'm certainly sympathetic with that, and I understand that. My response would be, if you really are, if you're immunocompromised, then go get an accommodation. So if, 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 you, if you can't medically be vaccinated or be on campus, get an accommodation. Those are, those are available. I would say the other response is get vaccinated. Um, we know the vaccinations are safe. Um, at least I believe they're safe. Um, I've, I, got, I had no reaction at all. Um, then I got a, a shingle shot and I was sick for a day and a half. Um, but I still got the shot. Somebody said to me, you know, that, that they were talking about vaccines and, and the person they were talking to said, well, I don't know, I might grow a tail if I have a vaccine. I'd rather have a tail. I mean, I'd, I'd just rather have a tail than COVID. I mean, I had one once, I think, and so. Um, but that would be my response is get vaccinated and, you know, wear a mask if, you, if that makes you feel safer. Um, and the, the, the plexiglass screens will still be up. And we are pushing. We are, well, we're watching F the FDA because we're hoping full approval comes soon. Once full approval comes, then we we will um, be pushing LDH and working with the state to, to get the vaccine on the list. So obviously, you know, the, the COVID was one of the major issues that was going on during your presidency. Another one that we we're going to have to kind of touch on is the Title IX issues. Um, so when the Hush Blackwell report dropped, actually not the Hush Blackwell report, the USA Today article, you released an email, I think it was hours after, maybe two or three hours, you know, talking about that. Can you maybe talk about how you heard about what did you, was it the, when it dropped? Is that when you first heard about that? or I heard about it um, a little before that because we were getting public records requests from USA Today. Um, you know, they wanted to look at various and sundry records, some of which – are, are private, some of which are public. So we knew, okay, they're, they're out there and they're doing this. They're going to do a story. Um, we, we didn't have a, we were developing a picture of the scope of it as it broke. So I think knowing that there was going to be a story, we had prepared a message to the community. Um, I think we probably sent two. I think there was one that said, look, there's going to be a story. Um, and then there was one after the story after the story dropped. Okay. Um, and so in, in the day it did drop, and you, like you said, you were already prepared for it. And I think it was fast forward maybe three, four months to the Hush Blackwell report when that when that um, since that was an internal investigation by the university, did they give you guys the maybe, maybe the report first so you guys could look at it maybe beforehand or how did that? Yeah. The first thing I did was, you know, I read the 
the story and I was just, I was shocked. I was sad. Um, I, I was, I was like, my God, we've got to do something. So the first thing I did was I called STAR, um, Sexual Trauma Awareness and Response. I called the Baton Rouge office and I said, you know, I, I, I need to have, I need to meet with y'all. We need, we're going to need some help in dealing with this. Um, and even then I thought, well, okay, how are we going to deal with this internally? So you called it an internal investigation. It was really only internal in that we hired Hush Blackwell mm -hmm. because I, I, I think probably the day after the, the, US, the, the USA Today story, I, I, I woke up and I, I thought, we need to hire somebody outside. We, we need, somebody needs to come in and just investigate and we need to give them carte blanche and and we need to make it as public a report as it can possibly be. Uh, the the Hush Blackwell presented the report to the board on a Friday. It was like March fifth, March third, whatever. Um, and I think they sent it to us Monday, late Monday night. And so I I read it all day Tuesday. So that's when we got it. I honestly did not want to have that report for too long before it, it, we let it out because I didn't want people to think, oh, what are they doing with this report before they let it out? So, so and then th that they let it out on Friday. So how many firms did y'all consider um, before desiring to hire um, Hush Blackwell? We thought, we thought about a couple. Um, I, you know, there's three or four names popped up. I can't, I can't even remember exact, but, but our, our general counsel, um, Winston DeQueer had been going to Title IX seminars and education throughout the summer because I don't know if you remember the, the Trump regulations on Title IX required universities to basically modify and change their procedures. So he had been going to programs through the summer and, and some of the folks who were consistently presenting and making great presentations were the Hush Blackwell folks. So that's how that's how we settled on Hush Blackwell. So after the Hush Blackwell report, you know, the university started enacting a lot of measures to try to, I think it was, it was 17 or uh, recommendations. 18. Made, 18 recommendations they made. One of those recommendations was making the Office of Civil Rights in Title IX, and you appointed Jane Cassidy. Um, and it was, that was a personally you reached out to her and talked to her about that. Is, is there a reason you specifically chose her? Can you kind of get into that a little bit? I, I can. Um, Jane was a senior vice provost of academic affairs, um, and she's been in, in the Office of Academic Affairs for 10 years. Um, one of the things that she deals with is she deals with uh, tenure and promotion. So she's very familiar with human resources concerns and most tenure and promotion cases are a joyful time. Some are not a joyful time. So she's, she's, she's dealt with challenging situations. Um, she is an amazing faculty member uh, from the College of Music and Dramatic Arts. She's a great administrator. Uh, she's compassionate. She listens. She gets things done. Um, so when I was thinking about, well, who am I going to ask to do this? She immediately came to mind, and then I called Stacy Haney, and I said, "Stacy, we need to talk about you know who who can I put in charge in the interim, vice president of 
the office of of civil rights and Title IX, and I didn't say to Stacy. I'm usually really honest and forthright. We we are great partners, but I didn't tell her who I was thinking about. And she came right back and she said, you know, I, I hate to say this because it's not good for me, but Jane Cassidy. And I said, yeah, that's exactly who I'm thinking about. Um, and so luckily Jane said that she would do it because um, she, she's really great. She gets things done. Now, coincidentally, she was the chair of the search committee um, when I was a candidate to become dean in 2015. So so that's how I first got to know her. Okay. Um, so, and have you stayed involved with that, that process in that office as, as yeah. it's been starting up? Yeah, we meet once a week. Okay, awesome. Um, and so I want to talk to you about the March 10th hearing that you went to for the Title IX hearing. Yeah, for yeah. The, if we could talk about that. Um, I don't know if you stayed the whole time. I know, I know it was very 10 hours long. I think if, if that's right, Madeline was there to actually cover it for the Reveille. Um, and so... At one point, you were getting grilled by, by, by the legislators over the decision to not to, to not fire, terminate, or maybe more harsh sanctions mm-hmm. um, for, for Seeger and Osbury. Um, can you kind of maybe get into how that day went or, or, may, or maybe that decision in of itself? Yeah, I can. Um, I, I repeatedly asked Hush Blackwell um, as, as we, we got the report if they recommended any terminations, and they did not. Um, they, they did recommend discipline, and, and the reasons were there was no culture of accountability. Um, there was no culture of, of punishment. The offices were underfunded. Uh, the people involved um, were not in charge. They were subordinates to other people, um, none of whom were still here. Um, so. So that's those are the reasons why I made the decision that I made. Um, I, I'm I'm from my first day of law school, probably before. I've always been more about like rehabilitation and and learning than I've been about retribution and punishment. So so that's that's how I made the decisions. Um, that day, the day of the of the the um, hearing, March 10th, um, we were. We were in Homa the day before and talking to legislators, and we knew there was going to be a hearing. Um, but as we were coming back from Homa, we, we started to hear the scope of the hearing um, and that all of higher ed was going to be there. So we, we went, and everybody from higher ed talked about uh, their Title IX and their compliance. Everybody from higher ed, Southern, uh, LCTCSC, UL, and, and us. Um, and then we were last and we, we stayed the longest. Um, it was, I think it was challenging. It was, it was, but it was moving because there were survivors who testified, um, and, and told their stories and, and I mean, they're sad, they're tragic stories. Um, but yeah, no, I stayed, I stayed the whole time. I was there that I was there for the whole hearing. And was it difficult for you to have to maybe answer some of these questions when you weren't in charge or even directly involved in, in the administration back when most of these things were occurring? How, how was being in that perspective? Yeah. Um, it, it, I'm in the chair. So it's challenging because the, your personal side wants to say, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I'm, I want to fix it. But you're also in the chair, so you you represent the institution. Um, there's 
there, there's only one person in charge of the institution that day, and that was me. So, so in that situation, um, it, yeah, it was hard, but I, I have to, as the, I use a silly phrase, the face of the institution, I have to apologize. I have to own up to what is is not a good past for us um, because because the people who were here then aren't here now to apologize and they're they're not here now to fix it so that's kind of the the, the tension I, I told a story last night I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Paul it's about it's about an alien and 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 Simon Pegg and Nick Frost these British comedian Shaun of the Dead guys uh, meet this alien in Area 51, and um, Seth Rogen is the voice of the alien. Anyway, one of the things the alien can do is heal people. Yeah. You know, he can put his hand on you, and like if you've got a cut, the cut will go away. Or, but it, but it exhausts him. Um, you know, like afterwards he's wiped out. And I, I think I, I felt like that. I mean, I felt like, not that I could cure anything, but I felt like, look, I gotta take, I gotta take this on. Um, and that's hard. It, that it's tiring. So is that you know? And initially in your presidency, you said that you were interested in the permanent position. Is that you know? Did that go concurrently with maybe you being tired of not wanting to do it anymore? <clears throat> I think it went with. Um, I think there's probably three things. First, I didn't want it. The six to nine months. Mm. Then I thought, you know, man, yeah, I'm having. A, I mean, this is this is. This is a challenge, and, and I think maybe I'm interested in it. Um, and then, you know, remember I told you Gilbert was born on February 15th. Yeah. And we saw him on FaceTime, but we didn't see him again until um, the end of March of, of 2021. So that's 13 months. And we went up to New Hampshire when we were all vaccinated, and, and um, you know, we saw him – and I realized, you know, no matter what, if I'm the president of LSU, I'm spending less time with my family. So I, I you know, no, I really, I wanna, I wanna be with my, I wanna be with my family more. This is also the longest stretch in my life when I have not taught. As a dean, as a college president, there was a year or two I didn't teach. There were semesters I didn't teach here and there, but usually I taught one course a semester. Um, and I really, really miss teaching. So it, it came down to, and, and we were doing a national search, which is the right thing to do. But when you do a national search, it's like, okay, this person, five years, they got to stay. For, so that would have been five more years. And I just thought, you know, this is, I, it's time for me. It's time for me to step back. Um, I, I, I want to be with my family more. I want to I be teaching more. I want to keep writing. Um, so it's time for me to step back. It, did some of the, I think, level of crisis constantly have some impact? Yeah, I'm sure it did because there's no way that I could ever have taught during during this stuff. Um, there's no way I could have gone away as much as I would like to during this stuff. So I think I think that probably had an had an impact. <clears throat> I also had a bunch of pretty challenging decisions to make. Um, on various subjects, and I didn't particularly want to be running for office at the same time that I was making those decisions. That's, that's another question that, I, that I've had is, is, does it make it difficult for you in the interim position while also saying that you, you may be interested 
you have to appease, or maybe not appease, but the board of supervisors is watching what you're doing, and they're also the ones that are going to select you if you want to become president. That's kind of, it seems like you're in the middle of two two turns. So how how, how did you handle that? Yeah, that never, uh, uh, that really never entered my mind except for, I thought at one point, what's the appearance? I'm, I'm going to make the right decision no matter what, and if they don't like it, then, you know, then they don't pick me. So I'm, I was okay with that. But you do think a little bit about the appearance to the public. Are they thinking, oh, you know, he, he or she's going to do this because they want the job. And I wasn't going to do that because I want – so I was going to make the decisions I was going to make. Um, but you're right. I mean there is this appearance of, oh, you know, you're, you're running for office at the same time. You're, you're, you're having, to, having to make all these decisions. But I had a good relationship with the board. I have. I mean I kept them informed. They, I think they, they respected the fact that I was the one who had to make the decisions and, you know, they, they give me free advice, but I make the decisions. And they did award you the, the, the title of president. Yeah, they were really so. sweet. And, yeah. then, and also, just they, you're also not the interim president. They, they took that down and made you the f- actual president, dropped the title, right? Yeah. At the, I think that was the la- May, so May. Oh, May. Okay. Yeah, so between COVID, Title IX, even all the racial tensions that we had over the past year or so, um, how did your expectations of the job when you decided to accept it kind of differ from your actual term and how it played out? There is no way I could ever have expected any of the stuff that I would say the, the one thing that I might have expected would have been the racial justice issues. Um, not because I could have expected what would happen to George Floyd and the way the country would explode, but because the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion have been abiding issues in every leadership position I've had, and it's been something I've focused on everywhere. So I could 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 have foreseen we're going to work on this, but none of the rest of it. I mean, you know, even like the national championship, right? I mean, that was my first second week on the job and we win a national championship and and then went to the White House, which was crazy. <coughs> Washington Mardi Gras, grandchild. It's like, man, life is this is great. And and who COVID, you know, COVID and then and then racial justice and time could never have expected it. So definitely um I mean I knew there'd be stuff, but uh just n- nothing the magnitude of what we went through. So Going into the racial justice movement, um, can you talk about maybe what you've done on campus? We can talk about the Middleton Library, maybe if you were involved with that decision. And I know there's a, a renaming committee that's going on. Maybe you're involved with that. If you could talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, we've actually done a whole lot of stuff um, in terms of uh, communication, in terms of messaging, putting together a group of people who we consult now with, hey, if something happens nationally, should LSU make a statement? What should, what should the statement be? We're working real hard to, to improve our search committees um, because we are more diverse as a campus than we have ever been. Uh, th- this class coming in, we expect will be the largest, the most diverse, and among the most uh, academically gifted that we've ever had. But our faculty and staff are not nearly as diverse as our student body. So we've got a lot of work to continue to do in that regard, but we've been focused on that. Um, So there's a whole lot of wonderful things going on um, in terms of of making progress towards 
being not just a diverse community, but an inclusive community. Um, I, I, I was involved in the, in the decision, the Middleton decision. Um, it, it, it was the board, uh, the students wanted some action taken on building names. Um, the board, board leadership was very sympathetic to that. And so the, the board voted unanimously to remove the name. And there's now a committee that is working looking at, I think, 13 other building names on campus uh, to decide whether or not to recommend um, a change in those names. Uh, I, I anticipate, and they'll probably, I'm not sure what their timing will be. They're being really, really careful and meticulous. Um, to me, the building name, it's, it, if the name on the building is a symbol of a time, when we weren't inclusive, where we were, we were not just not inclusive, we, we were discriminating on the basis of race and, and excluding African-Americans from our campus. And if the building name is one that reminds us every time we go in the building of that past, then the impact of what we were is living today because the people, when we go in and we see a name, we think of that time and, and what we did that, I'll say crime, that, even though it wasn't a crime, it was a crime against humanity. So if we want to be welcoming today, we've, we've got to deal with those symbols of the past. And everybody said, well, yeah, but that's the way it was. I get it, that's the way it was. But, but it, it's, it's, it's not preserving the way it was now or projecting the way it was now as a message that we agree with. Um. So I wanted to talk to you about something else that, that came to my attention recently. One of, the, one of your last acts as president, I saw that you've increased the merit, uh, the merit pay for each department. And I, uh, what I'm reading here was very important to you. Maybe if you want to talk about that for a second or just. Yeah, we, it, we, y'all are going to graduate. You're going to get jobs and you're going to look for jobs that are rewarding and they're going to help you change the world, but you want to be paid well. Um, and so faculty are the same way and staff are the same way. To, to get great people, we got to pay them fairly. And to keep them, we've, we've got to give them raises um, so that our salaries remain competitive. So faculty and staff raises were really, really important to me from the beginning. Um, they're very sporadic here at LSU. I mean, I mean we've, we've had, I think, th three raises in the last nine, ten years. I mean, they're just very sporadic. Um, so we, we need to get in the habit of being able to give annual increases uh, so that we remain competitive. Uh, the governor um, feels the same way. And so the governor put a 2% raise into the budget for faculty. The legislature, legislature agreed, but that was 2%. We were able to find 3%, and the, the state budget had nothing in it for staff, which we got to give staff increases to. So we were able to find 3% um, for faculty and staff. Everybody in the LSU family, uh, the other institutions, are going to do increases. We're all not doing the same amount, but everybody's doing increases for faculty and, and for staff. And so I w I'm really, really happy about that. So I wanted to ask you one, one last question specifically about LSU and your presidency. Um, you said earlier you've made a lot of tough decisions while you've been president. Maybe, maybe what has been one of the most toughest toughest decisions or maybe one of those 
toughest times that you, that you went through as president and how did you handle that? Oh gosh. Um, I think in some ways the title nine stuff was the toughest stuff. Um, cause it, it was, it's so painful. Um, and it, it's, it represents such a past really failure on our part, uh, to our students. So I, I found that, to me, that was emotionally very, very tough. Um, the, I think the community was, is together on the need to make that change. Um, but they, they, we need to raise our awareness of those issues and how prevalent they are and how we have to change our culture on that. So I think that, that, that was probably the, the toughest stretch. And so obviously, the, you know, changing institutional um, fa- failures when it comes to, and I'm not saying that's going on now, but the, the work going on, it just doesn't happen overnight or, over, or even over a year. So we're not there yet. But do you think maybe we're on the way or starting to roll towards that direction? I think we're definitely on the way. Um, one of the things that Hush Blackwell said was that we were really understaffed. Um, we had two people who were who were doing Title IX work, and they also had other responsibilities. So, so we've added we're adding people, um, and uh, I think we've 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 highlighted the issue, um, and people are more aware of it than they were before. So, I I do think we're on the way, but I think you're right, Nick. We're not there yet, um, and it's gonna it's gonna take a while, and it's gonna take a lot of education. So, like you said earlier, when you came in here, um, I don't know if we got this on recording. You said this is a, you're on the farewell tour right now. You're, you're going around saying saying goodbyes. I think said after this, you're headed to your office to start bringing it back to the law center. What's 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 some of, what's some of the things you have in your office that describe you really? What are, what are some of the key mark items? Um, family pictures. Okay. Um, those are probably the key mark that 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 describe me. Um, my kids, my dad, my wife. Um, I have a picture of a friend of mine. His name is Chaney Joseph. It was Chaney Joseph. He died in 2015. And he did a bunch of like, he, he was a law professor, but he'd like be a judge ad hoc. He was the acting U.S. attorney. He was the acting district attorney, East Baton Rouge Parish. He was executive counsel of the governor, but he always went back to the law center. So I got my picture of Chaney because um, I thought I'm going back to the law center. And, and it turns out I am going back to the law center. Um I have a painting that my wife gave me. Uh, uh, I have a picture of my mother. I mentioned my father, but I have a picture of my mother. Um, and then I have uh, just a few of the books and law review articles that I've written over the years. I didn't bring them all, but I just brought a few so so that so that they were there. The cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. And and now, thanks to a board member, Randy Morris, I have a huge painting. I think it's probably like three feet by four feet of a tiger about to attack. And, and that's going to go in my office at the law center. My wife says I, I can't put it in, in over the mantle at home. It sounds like an office painting. Yeah, it's an office painting. So and so obviously it's Wednesday. Friday is going to be your – you said you're still on call earlier, really, but you kind of – not doing any presidential duties at the moment, just kind of slow, slowly going out. Yeah. Um, so and you said you're – you're driving to New Hampshire, and from what you said earlier, is this to see your grandson, yeah, Gilbert? Yeah, it's, it's to see Gilbert, um, Gilbert, Sarah, and Jeremiah. Um, we were in New Hampshire for 10 years. Sarah obviously stayed. 
Um, and uh, we have a condo in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So we'll drive up there and we will spend four or five weeks in Portsmouth, uh, then come back here for a couple weeks, um, probably go see our daughter Jennifer and her husband Ethan in Nashville, um, your home state, Tennessee. Uh, Patrick, our son and his girlfriend are in um, San Diego. So we'll, we'll, we haven't been out to San Diego in a couple of years. So we'll go out there. And then we're going to go to Ireland for a week in October. I have three books, um, two new editions of two two books, and then an update on another book. So I'll, I'll be working on that too. And then sometime in the fall, I'll start getting ready for class in January. So something you're going to have a long vacation. Seems very well deserved. How, how ready are you for this internally? For, for this for this relaxation totally ready to- totally ready yeah. it's been it's been a long year yeah. year and a half um that's that's all the questions i have madeline if, if, if you had any more anything else you want to talk about yeah i did want to ask one other thing you mentioned earlier that you didn't really have anyone to go to um, for advice and things so how involved in president tate's administration do you expect to be i will be uh, i i do not expect to be that involved at all um i i think one thing that a president will will want is to make her or his own decisions and not have somebody boop, 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 boop. Um, but I will be as available uh, as he wants me to be. Um, we've talked uh, a lot during transition about issues. Um, so I, I will be at his beck and call whenever he, he needs something or wants something. I, I, will, I, will, I will be available, but I promise I'll stay out of his hair. And so I just had one more question yeah. to finish us off. Um, if you could just describe just a couple words, maybe your experience as president or how you feel about it or how you'll remember it. You know, we've talked a lot about the facts of it. Um, I, I would think the way that I will remember it the most, though, is that it really was a team effort. Um, the, the there's just so many people and I, I can't name them who I mean they just totally stepped up so I said last night at a little party we had that um, any decision I made that looked like I had confidence it was because people had placed their confidence in me and that gave me the courage to do the things that I had to do so I'm, I'm gonna remember most the, the great people that I've gotten to work with um, obviously I'm gonna be here in Baton Rouge so I'll keep in, tr- in, in touch with them but uh, you know I mean like my chief of staff Ashley Arsenault she's she's the best I mean she's my right hand um, I'm an optimist She's not an optimist, so it's a nice it's a nice balance. Um, and again, so so I I I think it'll be the people. And the other thing is, you know, I've never as a kid I never considered myself a particularly brave person. Um, the um, like I haven't jumped out of a plane or anything like that. But I would say that I'm really proud. I don't think that we backed down from any issues. I don't think we we didn't try to avoid things. Um, we didn't run into a truck, but when when issues came, we we dealt with them. We didn't avoid them. So I'm 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 really happy with that. But again, Nick, that and Madeline, that is all because of a great team of wonderful people. Well, I can personally say for myself and for people that I know, thank you very much for what you've done as president. You have been put in very tough spots, and then and from, from what I've seen, you've always tried your best, and that's that's all you can really can can ask you to do. Um, thank you. This has been Tiger Talk. We've been joined by President Galligan and uh, Madeline. Um, hopefully we'll catch you here next week.
If you're interested in following the Reveille on social medias, you can find us at LSU Reveille on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. You can find KLSU on 91.1, and their Instagram is KLSUFM.